Good evening. Welcome to each one to the service here this evening. It's good to see the house well filled. I've been blessed this weekend already, and uh, I trust we will be blessed again this evening. I've been impressed also uh, how the Holy Spirit's led. Um, as I was thinking about this devotional and thinking about what I was going to talk about, uh, an idea came to mind. And before I ever looked at the title of the sermon this evening, um, it, it seems to be right down the lines. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Josh's mind will go a different way than mine did. But I was just blessed um, to, by that. Um, thank you, Carl, for that first song. Love divine, all love's excelling. I want to talk this evening about the hope that we have. And if it wasn't for the love of God, we wouldn't have hope. That love is truly excelling everything, all, all loves that we could ever imagine. I hope I don't get into what Josh wants to talk about too much, but I do want to talk about this hope a little bit. The title for this evening, unless Mr. Josh changes it, is Faithful to the Finish. Um, when I see the word finish... I kind of think of what happens afterwards. Um, what is, what's the, what's the reward for the finish? I believe last night Quentin related a quote about a wise and foolish man, and for those that weren't here last night, I'll try to quote that here quickly if I can get it right. A wise man chooses his destiny and accepts the path. A foolish man chooses his path and accepts the destiny. That quote has always been an inspiration to me, a challenge to me, to choose the destiny and accept the path, no matter what is along the way. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter 3.15. This verse is kind of the springboard uh, for this devotional. It's the verse that was going through my mind as I was thinking about what to share. 1 Peter 3 verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. This evening, my friends, we have a hope that transcends any hope that we could ever have on this earth. We have something that's worth living for and something that's worth sharing with others. Something that impresses me um, I know there's a song that says something about it. I don't know if I can quote the lyrics of the song, but the Apostle John found it hard to describe the glory of heaven because it was so perfect, something immaculate. It was something worthwhile. Um, the hope that we have this evening is worthwhile. There's many times that we think some activity or object on this earth is worth our attention, but heaven will be worth so much more than anything this earth can offer. <clears throat> now turn to John chapter 14. We'll be reading verses 1 through 6. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. 
And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We need to realize here, uh, Jesus is the only way. Uh, that's something that stuck out to me as I read this passage. And another verse in Scripture says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. We should be so excited about the Christian life that we don't need to hear the words, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. What a horrible thing to hear. But we have, we have a hope. We have access to salvation that we can claim. And we will be greeted by the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We can be so excited that we don't need to hear those words, depart from me. God has done so much for us. How much more should we give back to him? A tremendous amount. It's always, that's something that's always impressed me, is how much God has done for us. Let's just think for a little about all that God has done for us and the awesomeness of God. God loved us so much that he sent his only son to be killed at the hands of, of men. And yet, God wants a relationship with each of us. God wanted it so bad that he was willing to give up something that he loved. Sometimes in life, I try to comprehend an everlasting God. That's not comprehensible by the finite human mind. But... If you think, well, God existed before creation, well, what was before creation? That's something that we really can't comprehend, and yet it's so amazing to think that our God, who is so big, wants a relationship with us. Our time on this earth is very short, but we have something to grasp hold of that will make every ounce of pain and trial on this earth worth it all. Heaven will be worth it all. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this evening. Father, thank you for who you are. Father, thank you for your plan of salvation that is available to each person. God, help us to, to claim that and to be able to have that hope. God, thank you so much for providing a way for us. Just pray that you would help us to live that out in daily life. Father, I pray that you would bless Brother Josh as he shares with us again this evening. Father, help our hearts to be open, that we could uh, be challenged and changed into people that are more like you. Father, help us to uh, honor you in all that we do and say. And I just pray that you will be with us the rest of this evening and grant us a good evening according to your will. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Christian greetings to all of you, dear brothers and sisters. And I so much appreciate that devotional about hope. The songwriter writes, We have this hope that burns within our hearts. Hope in the coming of the Lord. We have this faith that Christ alone imparts. Faith in the promise of His Word. We believe the time is near when the nations far and near shall awake and shout and sing, Hallelujah, Christ is King. 
we have this hope that burns within our hearts. Hope in the coming of the Lord. Praise God for that. Wow. The Christian people are a blessed people. It has been a, a privilege to share with the young people this weekend on the subject of being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And tonight, we want to think about being faithful to the finish. Being faithful to the finish. You know, one of the marks of the last days is a lack of endurance. Is a lack of perseverance. Is a giving up. Is a quitting the race. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Verse 16, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. And then... In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, Paul writes again, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Verse 4, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth. Verse 5, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, Paul makes it clear. The last days are going to be difficult days. The last days are going to be perilous days. But as believers, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. There is an answer. And that is by fighting the good fight of faith. By laying hold onto eternal life. By running the race faithfully to the finish. You know, Jesus also said, in speaking of signs of the last days, he says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. That's a sobering thing. Jesus says, in a sense, that there will be those who were walking faithfully for the Lord. Those who maybe taught the Sunday school classes. Those who preached behind the pulpit. Those were directing in the affairs of the church. Those were on fire for the Lord. He says, but in the last days, the love of many shall grow cold. But once again, dear brothers and sisters, we are not to fear because the answer is in a red-hot zeal for God and His Word. There's another word that's similar to faithful, and that is the word persevere. And in fact, embedded in the meaning of the word persevere is difficulties. You see, hard times, difficulties, spiritual battles are a given. In fact, as I just noted, we can expect them to get worse. 
But to persevere is to persist in spite of difficulties. In spite of difficulties. And so the Christian life is a life of purpose. It's a life of determination. It demands a daily decision to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not enough to look back and say, one time I named the name of Christ and I'm locked and loaded, you know? No, it's not. But true discipleship demands a daily decision. I will walk with the Lord. I surrender my heart to Jesus Christ. I surrender my will to His will. And that's something that must happen regularly. It's crucial for success in our Christian lives. In fact, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. It's a daily experience. And so the fight of faith is truly a fight. It's really a fight. And it requires all of you. But dear people, it's worth your every effort because it ends in victory. Victory is assured to the faithful believer. Well, I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10 for a text this evening. Hebrews chapter 10, and we'd like to begin at verse 19. Follow along as I read. Having therefore, brethren, boldness, to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, which is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Now skip down to verse 32. But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Partly while she were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions and partly while she became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away therefore your confidence which hath great recompense of reward, for ye have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. This evening I would like us to consider Five keys from this passage for staying faithful to the finish. You see, faithfulness calls for a life of resolve. And so each of these, key, uh, these keys ring with a note of resolve. Let us do this. Let us 
do this. You see, because of the importance of our spiritual lives and because of the reality of eternity, eternity, I will do this. I will do this. Verse 22. Let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. Now, it is not simply a coincidence that the writer began his let us list with our personal relationship with God. I say it is not a coincidence. It is foundational. Absolutely foundational. Without a vibrant relationship with God, we will lack the strength and we will lack the wisdom to be able to carry out the rest in the let us list. It's important to note that the book of Hebrews brings to our attention a very exciting aspect concerning our relationship with God. It reminds us of the wonderful provision that was made for us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Something that was not possible before. In fact, verse 20 says, well, we have here, having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way. We have the boldness to access the presence of God through a new and living way. Something has changed. Something is different. You see, prior to the death of Jesus, the way to God was through the priest, behind the curtain. It was a place that was not accessible to the general public. It was through, the way to God was through strict adherence to the law. But you remember, as Jesus hung on the cross, when he said, it is finished. The veil in the temple was split in two from top to bottom, signifying that God was now allowing believers everywhere, people everywhere, free access, as it were, into the holiest place. Free access, personal access, directly into the presence of God. You see, as Hebrews reads in 7.19, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. That new and living way gives us personal access to the Father. It gives us an intimate access to Jesus Christ in a way that was not possible before. And so if we are to remain faithful to the finish, it is vital that we may maintain an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We cannot expect to experience the power of God at work in our lives when we are not purposefully, daily, living in His presence. In fact, James writes, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. He goes on to say, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, I notice there's a similar thrust in Psalm 24. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? Thinking there of being in the presence of God 
an intimate relationship with God. Who is able to have that? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. You see, in both of those passages, we have the same. Clean hands and a pure heart. Necessary in order to access and enjoy an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I say there's a direct connection between holiness of life and closeness to Christ. It is impossible to experience a vibrant relationship with Christ. It is impossible for us to be near Him when we have known sin in our life. When there are spiritual issues in our lives that we are not dealing with, and we know it, I say it's impossible to have that close connection to Christ. In fact, look here in our text. I'd like to notice verses 26 to 31 now in Hebrews 10. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, or this is speaking of an ongoing lifestyle of sin, after we have come to the truth, after we have been made known the truth, after we have received the truth, but it has not changed our lives to the point where we have done away with it, put the flesh to death, speaks of an ongoing thing here. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace? We say, well, we wouldn't do that. I mean, that's, that's terrible. I mean, that's, those are harsh words. We wouldn't act like that, would we? But dear people, when we persist in a sinful lifestyle, after we have come to the light, the understanding of what God has done for us, and we have said, yes, Lord, but have not allowed it to change us, but have persisted in sinfulness, we, in a very real way, are living out verse 29. We are mocking God. We are, in a sense, slapping Him in the face. Not respecting what He has done through the blood of Jesus Christ. But looking at it lightly. Verse 30. For we know Him that has said, said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You see, there's a difference between falling into the hands of God and living in the hands of God. You see, in fact, the believer who is faithfully living for the Lord and who is living to please Him in all He does is in a safe place, is in a secure place, is in a loving place, sheltered in the hands of God. 
but those who persist in sinfulness, those who are not surrendered and continue to live according to their own ways are in a dangerous place. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so, the Hebrews writer says, let us draw near to God. Let us draw near. It is in this that we find the strength to remain faithful to the finish. And I say, it is in this that I believe we are eternally secure. There is an eternal security that I truly believe in. And it is in when we are faithfully, daily, surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ, we are eternally secure in that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in that. No one can snatch us out of the hand of God in that. We are truly kept by the power of God as we daily yield our lives to His control, allowing Him to have His will and His way within us. That is eternal security at its best. Praise God for that. Verse 23, let us hold fast our faith. Let us hold fast our faith. Some time ago, a few friends of mine, I guess, felt that life wasn't quite exciting enough, so they decided to try skydiving. Yeah, skydiving. And we heard some very interesting stories after that adventure. And from what I understand, as they fell away from that airplane in sheer terror, they realized anew that holding fast to that instructor was absolutely essential to life. <laughs> I mean, essential to life. And we say, well, we get that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, life depends on that, holding fast to that instructor. But let me ask you, did you know that holding fast to your faith is just as essential to life? Well, perhaps more? You see, if at any point you decide you're done with your faith, you're really saying, I'm done with life. Dear people, Jesus Christ is life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life, Jesus said. No man comes to the Father except by me. And so without Jesus Christ, you have no hope. You experience death. I ask you, how precious is your faith to you? Is it something that you would give your life for? I'm blessed many times over when I read stories from the martyr's mirror. Believers from years ago who believed that there was absolutely nothing as precious as their faith. And they gladly went to the death for it. Amazing. I mean, and they endured brutal torture. Burning at the stake. And there were those who sang till the till the flames quenched their voice. Yes. You know, people today are still dying for their faith. Just pick up one of the latest issues of Voice of the Martyrs magazine. You really should do it. 
it would help you think a bit about what Christianity is all about. It would also help you to see that, man, we live one soft lifestyle here in America. There was a happening some years ago that really jolted me. Perhaps it was a means of driving a stake in my life. But I was 17 years old. I was just getting ready to graduate in just several weeks. This was the year 1999. Do you remember that? <laughs> April of 1999. And on this certain day, two gunmen walked into Columbine High School in Colorado and opened fire on students and staff, killing 12. And the stories went around about that tragedy. But the one that just really stood out to me as a 17-year-old was the story about Cassie Bernal. And as reported, one of the gunmen came up to her and asked her if she believed in God. And she said, yes. And he took her life. It's a high school student. I'm not sure what I would have done when I was in high school. I'm not sure what I would have done with that question. That really spoke to me. As I said, that was somewhat of driving a stake in my life. It made me really think about my faith, about what I would do, how precious my faith is to me, and what am I willing to give for it. But I say as we look at these martyrs, how could they do this? And I say it was because their faith was in the faithfulness of God. As our text says, for he is faithful that promised. What is this promise all about? Well, in, in Hebrews chapter 8, it speaks of this promise being the promise of our eternal inheritance. The reward for the saints. Of living with the Lord Jesus Christ someday. And it is especially in times of difficulty that I say we cling to these promises of God. We serve a faithful God. He is faithful that promise. What He says, He will do. You can count your life on it. Our conference motto is from Philippians chapter 2, verse 16. Holding forth the word of life. And the picture that goes along with it is a hand that's holding out a Bible and there's perhaps sort of rays coming out around the Word of God, holding forth the Word of life. When you look at that, your first thought perhaps is that of testimony. Sharing the Word of God. Sharing our testimony to those around I found it interesting here some time ago to note actually the context of that. And turn to that, Philippians chapter 2. I found it interesting to note the context there and actually the accurate meaning of the word holding forth. Because here the Apostle Paul, he's talking about the power that makes the testimony of the church effective. 
What is the power behind the testimony of the church? What makes it vibrant? What makes our testimony really mean something? What makes it work? And so we read, starting at verse 14 in Philippians chapter 2, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. There's the testimony. Holding forth the word of life, or as you hold forth the word of life, among whom you shine as lights in the world, as you hold forth the word of life. And in fact, the word, the phrase, holding forth there, has the idea of to pay attention to, to heed, to retain, to hold on to. And so, in all reality, we read there, among whom you shine as lights in the world, as you hold on to the word of life. You see, dear people, the power and the influence of our testimony as a church is directly related to our hold on truth. We cannot effectively hold forth the word of life, speaking of testimony, if we are not, first of all, holding on to it tenaciously allowing it to inform and reform our thought and practice. It's really about first things first. And so I say the testimony of the church is only as vibrant as the health inside of it. Truly, the life-changing power of the gospel is not found in the packaging as much as it is in the present itself. Not as much in the packaging as it is in the present itself. In each of the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, there is specific emphasis given to faithfulness. And in fact, the words hold fast are used in four of the letters. I just want to note two of them. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. And here's the church of Thyatira that we read in verses 25 and 26 of Revelation chapter 2. We read this. But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Now notice chapter 3, uh, verses 10 and 11. This is the church at Philadelphia. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, or we could put it this way, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man can take thy crown. Holding fast. It's also noteworthy in each of these letters, Jesus makes it clear that the reward at the end of life is reserved for those who overcome, to those who persevere, who persist in spite of difficulties. 
the reward is reserved for those. Those who are faithful to the finish. You see, the Christian life, once again, calls for a, a daily, continual faithfulness. It's not a make a decision for Christ and then live as you please religion. Not at all. But it's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that calls us, that calls us to grow in His likeness. And so, we are called in our text in Hebrews chapter 10 to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. You know, most of us in this room tonight have made commitments to Jesus Christ and the church. We've made some professions, haven't we? We sure have. I ask you, how are you doing in those? Are you holding fast? Is your faith something that you would die for? You see, there are a lot of influences in our world today. There are a lot of voices. There are those who would like to steal that crown. How tight are you holding on to it? Hold fast to the hope you profess. Verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 10, once again, another key to staying faithful to the finish is let us spur each other on. Let us spur each other on. Now, normally we think um, of the word provoke, which in fact, we read the word provoke in the King James. Let us provoke one another to love and good works. Normally we think of that word um, as a bad thing, maybe. Uh, something that produces a negative <laughs> reaction. So, you know, maybe thinking about making someone mad or irritating them. We provoke them, rib them a little bit, you know. But here the word is used in a very positive kind of way. It means to arouse, to excite, to call to action in a good way. I think perhaps of a horse that is spurred to action. It excites them. It gets them going. It renews some, some zeal. Let's go. It's that kind of a thing. The thought is that we must be mindful of how we can keep our brothers and sisters excited about persevering in the Christian faith. In other words, we each have a part to play in the spiritual safety, in the spiritual well-being of each other. Truly, we are our brother's keeper. We are. We believe that. And even though the details of our lives may vary from person to person, yet for the most part, we have the same general responsibilities in life. We struggle with similar temptations. We fight similar battles. What are we doing about that? What are you doing about that? In fact, John writes in his epistle, when you see your brother or sister has a need, maybe it's a physical need, maybe it's a material need, dear people, maybe it's a spiritual need, 
Maybe it's an emotional need. When you see that, when you notice that, and you refrain from doing something about it, how dwelleth the love of God in you? And the answer is, it doesn't. <laughs> the love of God is not alive and well and dwelling within you when you see your brother or sister has need and you turn, as it were, a blind eye. Or maybe you make a judgment about the situation. Someone else needs to. It's too messy. Well, if they wouldn't have done, they wouldn't be. Can I share a little burden I have with you tonight? I don't think it's a secret that our conference is struggling. Perhaps it's also no wonder. I don't know. But dear people, I feel like in too many ways, instead of discipling one another, we have begun dissecting one another. There has been an increase of inward looking. There has been nitpicking. There has been too much of that. And it's wearing us down. It's wearing us down. And Satan is loving every moment of it. It has been said, the Christian army is the only army that kills its wounded. Now, I'll be quick to say, I don't know who made that statement, and I don't know what their attitude was when they made it. But I will also be quick to say, it's good for us to hear. It's good for us to ponder. Too often, instead of lovingly trying to help and provide first aid, as it were, to a struggling brother or sister, we rebuke them, or we discipline them, or we shame them, or we say, well, if they wouldn't have done that, then they wouldn't be in the mess they're in. They'll just have to deal with the consequences. God, help us in that. The lyrics of two songs come to my mind. Songs from years ago when I was a youngster. The first is, the devil has a plan to divide and to conquer. The seeds have sprouted and grown, and we've played right into his hand by the way we always seek our own. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to offer lyrics to another song as a contrasting thought to that. This is a song that me and two of my sisters sang when we were younger, when our family went around giving family programs. It was Jewel and Crystal and myself sang this one, and I think I sang the high tenor. <laughs> but this song grips me a little bit more than it did when I was 11 years old. We're in a mighty conflict here. The army of the Lord. We must join forces. Standing tall. And lean upon his word. The enemy is now in view. And bravely circles round. Then comes a cry from the battlefield. Another soldier down. 
Go then with haste, stand by his side, and lend your strength once more. Go bear him up with faith and prayer until the battle's o'er. The fight before the victory, the cross before the crown. Be ever watchful ere the cry, another soldier down. Oh, dear people, we have room to grow in that. We have room to grow. And so here in our text, the scripture is calling us to strengthen and encourage each other, to challenge each other to be faithful and to be active in the work of the Lord. And we feel this in various ways. And you can be very active in spurring one another on. It doesn't have to be something big. It doesn't have to be taking a meal. It could be. It doesn't have to be whatever. It could be small ways. You know what they mean to you. You know what small bits of encouragement mean to you. Share them. Give them. For example, a few weeks ago, I was sitting at my desk early one Sunday morning, agonizing a bit over the word that was to be preached that day, wondering what God was doing and what he would do through me. It's a bit heavy. And my phone chirped. And there was a brother reaching out to me with some words of encouragement. Saying, brother, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. God bless you. And I just started weeping. That meant so much. It meant so much. Those little notes of encouragement, those little bits of, of help, go so far in helping us stay faithful to the finish. There's those of you in this audience tonight that excel in that. God bless you, brothers and sisters. And there's others of us who could do better in that. I say that's what it's all about. We are here for each other. Let's spur each other on. Let's move on. Verse 25, another key to staying faithful to the finish Verse 25, let us faithfully fellowship together. Let us faithfully fellowship together. Now, it appears that these people had some of the same tendencies <laughs> that we do today. Interesting, huh? But some were in the habit of not coming to church, at least not frequently. Now, it doesn't give any specific reason, but... It is very possible that it could have been out of fear of persecution, which was very strong at that time. Or maybe it was due to a lack of interest, as is the case today sometimes. Perhaps people were busy with other things, as is the case sometimes today as well. However, our text makes it clear that as time moves on, the church should be meeting together and encouraging other, each other more, not less. I think of the example of the early church that we read in Acts chapter 2. The end of that chapter, it's a beautiful picture. And we often go back to that when we want to say how church should be today. How church should be today, when we share together, when we fellowship together, when we, uh, you know, whatever it is. That's the way they did it. It was beautiful. And so we look at the, it was a picture of strength. 
It was a picture of joy. It was a picture of unity. It was a picture of vibrancy. We say, yeah, we want to be like that. But did you know and did you realize that a huge part of that, I believe, was their almost daily interaction with one another? They were together often. They were encouraging one another often. They were in each other's homes often. They were seeing each other often. I say the two go hand in hand. A church that is joyful and fruitful and faithful and active. And daily, perhaps, interaction in some way. Maybe not face to face, but daily interactions. Frequent gatherings of some nature. I don't know about you, but I can see the day approaching. And brothers and sisters, we need each other. The scripture says here, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And I believe that the devil knows that his time is short. And he is working overtime to keep you and me and others from staying strong and finishing our race. It makes him happy, I believe, when he can get us to reason that we can be a good Christian and we can have a great relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and others just fine without the church. He's great with that. He is great with that. But I say, that is simply not the case. <laughs> that is simply not the case. That is a lie of the devil, that we can be active and vibrant and joyful and fruitful and, and that our relationship with God can be intact apart from everyone else. You see, when we distance ourselves from the brotherhood, we put ourselves in a very dangerous situation. One soldier is no match for the enemy. But when we band together as an army of brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan is defeated and the church of Jesus Christ moves onward. Praise the Lord. And so we are commanded to not give up meeting together, but to exhort one another. Turn back a few pages to Hebrews chapter 3. And I want us to note here in verses 12 through 14, the power of encouragement. The power of encouragement. Hebrews 3 verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So just have your devotions more often. And just go to the cabin and worship in nature, you yourself and God. No, that's not what he says. But he says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Now I find this fascinating. That the antidote for unbelief is encouragement. Encouragement. 
edifying one another. But note the urgency of the word today. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. The word today speaks of urgency. It, it speaks of, of the fact that there might not be a tomorrow. But there is today. There is this moment right now. Do it now. It also speaks of opportunity. We live in the day of opportunity. But we are not granted another. We have an opportunity. Praise God for those. Act on it. Today. Urgency. Opportunity. Don't put it off. I say that meeting together in person for prayer and praise and preaching is essential to staying faithful to the finish. There is power and encouragement among the brothers and sisters in Christ. I challenge you to be active in that. And then verses 32 and 34, back in our text again, one final key to staying faithful to the finish, and that is, let us remember, let us remember, and I'd like to read verses 32 through 34 in NIV for clarity here. We read, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Wow. Are we there? Sure. Take my garage. Take my shop. Take my toys. It means little to me. Why? Because, because it's nothing compared to those treasures in heaven. Does the way we live our lives <laughs> make that obvious? Do the things that we have around our places make that obvious that that is our that is our attitude take it I gladly give it up joyfully you can have it it means little to me let us remember you know sometimes as we go through life we get so caught up in the here and the now we get so caught up in the magnitude of the struggle, perhaps, that we fail to remember the past. And truly, there are things in the past that we need to forget. <laughs> but the scripture says various times that there are things that we need to remember from the past. And I say one of the keys to claiming victory in the battles of life today is to remember how God so faithfully helped us in the past when we were facing situations that looked just impossible, that we didn't know how we were going to get through. And here you are today. You got through, right? You're still alive. You're even smiling a little bit. 
we must remember the faithfulness of God. Think of little David when he was facing Goliath. And that, that David versus Goliath is still used today, not just in Christian circles, but even in among unbelievers. Speaking of something small, you know, maybe a you maybe a maybe a you could say an inexperienced or a very uh, small sports team that is playing a big one, and they'll even say in the newspaper, this is a David versus Goliath, you know. It's used frequently in different situations, sacred or not. But it has the idea of something little facing something really big. But I think of little David when he was facing Goliath. What did he say? You know, I remember... Back when I was taking care of my dad's sheep, one time this bear came and I took care of that thing in the name of the Lord. And one, one time a lion came and man, I dispatched him in the name of the Lord. And you know what? I can do it again. I can do it again. I also think of the nation of Judah. We read about it in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 where they were facing invasion by three enemy nations and this looked absolutely impossible. I mean, they were toast. There was no way they were to come out alive on this one. And what did they do? They fasted and they prayed. And part of their prayer, they said, in essence, God, you are the God that delivered your people in the past. Now do it again. Do it again. You did it in the past. We're your people. Do it again. Well, when this letter to the Hebrews was written, the Christians were going through uh, much suffering, much persecution. And the writer here wanted to remind them that it was through the faithfulness of God and his sustaining power that they were able to persevere. And he wasn't calling them to remember the difficulty and the pain of it all, but instead remember the cause for which they suffered. Remember the presence of God that they felt in that moment. Remember that. And he also wanted them to remember the zeal that they had when they first came to Jesus Christ. Remember the zeal. They were confident in their early days as being a believer. They were confident in the power of God. They were confident in his strength and helping them through whatever it was. And they were ready to get out there and get to work. In fact, we read here, remember how you stood your ground. Remember how you joyfully accepted material loss because your hope was in something better. Let her go. And I, I just ask us tonight, do you, do you remember the zeal that you had when you first came to Jesus Christ, when you first surrendered your heart to Him, you remember that burst of enthusiasm, that burst of confidence in God, that zeal that you had? Do you still have it? Do you still have an unwavering trust in God's ability, no matter the magnitude of the situation? In speaking to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus said, I hold this against you. You have left your first love. 
you have left your first love. I say, why? Why did they leave their first love? There are those among us who have also left their first love. Why? Why? Note verses 35 and 36 yet. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense and reward, or it will be richly rewarded. For ye have need of patience, or you need to endure, so that after ye have done the will of God, you might receive what he has promised. After you have done the will of God, you might receive. And that doesn't mean, um, you, maybe you will. No, you might. <laughs> it, is, it is affirmative. It will happen. You, lose, you do the will of God. You live in light of God's word. You live a life that is, that is vibrant, that is active in your faith. And you will receive your reward. That is the promise of Scripture. In conclusion, turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, which has been somewhat of the, the text or the, the theme for this weekend of meetings. I'd just like to bring something out yet. I don't know how you're feeling tonight in your Christian faith. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what is in front of you, what you're struggling with. And it's possible that, are, that there are some among us this evening that are saying, you know what, I understand, I see what you're saying, but I, I, I just can't take it. I just, I just don't know if I can take it any longer. Dear people, let me encourage you by saying it's all about First things first. Verse 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 3, Thou therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Another rendering of this says, Verse 1, take strength from the grace of God. And then verse 3, now take your share of hardship. You see, whether you can take what life dishes out, whether it be disappointments, whether it be trials, whether it be fighting the flesh, whether it be dealing with difficult people, whether you can take what life dishes out all depends on what you take first. And when you take first the strength from the grace of God, you will have absolutely sufficient to then endure whatever comes your way. But if you begin by looking at the size or the feasibility of the situation, 
if you begin by dwelling on that, dear people, you're done before you start. It's about having first things first. Take strength from the grace of God and then take your share of hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Well, thank you, brother, for sharing. I know I've been very challenged, and I want to thank you for your faithfulness in sharing with the Lord laid on your heart. I was thinking as he was talking about the verse that says, it's pointed on a man once to die, and after that the judgment. And I was thinking about the seriousness of life. Um, sometimes it's easy to get flippant with life and, and to not take it serious. But I think if we remember while we're here, and if we can remember to remain faithful, um, that's, that's what matters. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, you've been so good to us by allowing us this rich opportunity uh, to meet together this weekend, to be challenged and inspired by your word, to be challenged to faithful living. And Lord, I pray your blessing on the preaching of your word and the fellowship that has happened this weekend. May you be honored and glorified through it. Uh, may we be drawn close to you and inspired to, uh, to faithfully fight to the finish as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you, too, for the food that's been provided. May you bless those who have provided and bless it uh, to those who partake of it. And Father, I pray that our greatest desire would be to please you in all areas of life. May we live each moment to the glory of God. And now go with us as we part from here. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.